Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. You're in for a treat tonight. We have one of our favorite guests on. We call the episodes featuring Mr. Charlie Pierce, Checkpoint Charlie, and we're going to be checking in with him tonight. It's been uh, a lot, a lot of things going on. Mr. Pierce writes for Esquire.com. He's a Twitter god. He's uh, written books, a sports fanatic, and uh, he knows more about uh, modern politics than most of the people out there in the listening audience do together. And we're going to jump right into it. Charlie Pierce, thanks for being on uh, the Wall of Power Radio Hour tonight. Oh, it's good. It, it's good to be back. Uh, I hear the uh, the that flat Midwestern heat is starting to set in. Well, for those of uh, folks that aren't lucky enough to look uh, to live by Lake Superior, which I do, which we like to call as the unsalted sea by the Zenith City. It is, but it, it brings it brings up a question. I had it was got a little chilly the other night, Charlie, and I adjusted my thermostat, and then I thought, God, is this going to change the way I vote? That's just it. You just, I mean, you just, I mean, you, you know, all that bad trouble they're having in Sri Lanka. <laughs> Your thermostat, baby, you did it. <laughs> it's you know, I was, um, I, I. The house I'm staying until I move into my new place this Friday uh, has a TV, but I haven't. Uh, I, I watched little clips of the January 6th committee. What I've seen, I'm very impressed with. It takes me back to when I was a teenager uh, watching the great Sam Irvin and and uh, uh, and rest with the Watergate hearings. How do you think the hearings stack up to the Watergate hearings? I think they're. You know, I think they're. Uh they're they're of a piece with the Watergate hearings for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one of the, one of the things that I think they have in common with the Watergate hearings is that mo- a lot of people started out when the hearings opened not believing that any of this stuff was possible, mm-hmm. and gradually gradually coming to the realization that not only was it possible. It was worse than we thought it was. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people are right now. And if that's the case, then the hearings have succeeded. Well, I think um, they're very professionally done. I love the video feeds. And uh, I thought it would be a cold day day in hell until until I had some respect for Liz Cheney. Yeah, that's that's. That's causing, uh, like, a lot of existential sores among a lot of people I know, including me. <laughs> but I want to dr- drop a shout-out to, to, to Chairman Benny Thompson. Yeah. Who is not playing, believe me. Talking about a guy, guy who grew up, you know, in the Mississippi Delta with all that entails, back through history. And he's not taking, I mean, I mean, I think he's smart. To let Cheney take the lead on a lot of stuff because he's a Republican, yeah. but he's also totally in command. You can see it. You can see how the the other members of the committee respect him. You know, we're going to be jumping around uh, uh, with Charlie Pierce and the Wall of Power Radio Hour tonight, and uh, I've got to ask you one question: Is the Overstock dot com guy the same as? Because <laughs> I can't keep him straight. The Overstock guy, as Pat Cipollone called me. I, wa- I walked into the Oval Office and I didn't even know who the Overstock guy was. <laughs> and how do you get into the Oval Office? Is there a door nobody knows about? Is- well, that's the thing. He was keeping, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> he was keeping the, uh, you know, the real illegal stuff away from his own lawyers. Yeah. I mean, he gets all these, this incredible, you know, Star Wars Cantina meeting into the Oval before his lawyers even know about it, and they have to come running down the hall and try to turn all this craziness off. <laughs> now, what is the, uh, there's the Oval Office, which is, you know, what we're all familiar with, and then there's their, what's the Yellow Room? Is that the other Oval I think, Office? I think, no? that's what they, I think that's what they used to call 
I'm, I'm going back now to Jackie Kennedy's uh, tour of the White House in 1962. I think the yellow room or the yellow oval is what they used to call the solarium. Okay. It's a, it's a, you know, a, a room with big windows and stuff and apparently a good place to sit on snowy days and stuff. Uh, well, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Because well, I've, I've only taken one White House tour and it was after hours and a friend of mine who worked for the Department of Justice was breaking all kinds of regulations, taking me around. <laughs> I and while I, didn't, while I didn't see, uh, you know, you, you can't go to the residence. They don't even they don't even bring tours up there. But while I didn't see the solarium, I did see the beams that are still scorched from where the British burned the place. Really? Oh yeah, that's pretty. They haven't moved. They haven't. They haven't either moved them or painted them over since eighteen thirteen or whenever it was. Wow, I would. Uh... If I ever get there again, with I want to, I want to be there when Willie Nelson is there, so we can figure out how to get to the roof, so we can smoke a little weed. That's why. Hey, I, I mean, that's uh, that's Willie's claim to fame, right? <laughs> I mean, like a, a, the Beatles, the Beatles supposedly smoked weed at fucking Impalas. <laughs> the day bless. they got the day they got their OBEs. And uh, and who turned the Beatles on to marijuana? That was Bob Dylan at the Delamonico Hotel. I believe, and back in 1964. And yeah. uh, and Bob told him, he goes, yeah, that song years, I always thought, you meant I get high, I get high, I get high. <laughs> 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 and that's how our culture moves. Uh, speaking of the White House grounds, did they ever, uh, I hopefully Dr. Jill Biden had some good sense and some gardeners to redo the... Uh, uh, the rose garden that Jackie O planted, and uh, oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I don't know, uh, and I haven't. You know, most of the time when I'm in Washington, I'm up on Capitol Hill at you know hearings or talking to people, and and uh, so I don't get to the White House very much. Uh, I don't know. That's a very good question. You should probably look that up because hmm. uh, actually, I have my magic blogging laptop right here. Ah, there we go. Let's see what I can see. Let's see what my director of research, Dr. Google, <laughs> tells us about the uh, the dead rose, the, you know, mausoleum that uh, yeah, Melania. Is that the great Charlie Pierce on the phone today? Uh, from Doing a little research here live. Yeah, uh, doing double duty for uh, us here. Let me see. Uh Well, uh, you're listening to the wall of power. Well, no, I mean, I've got a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Melania stuff here, but I'm not seeing any, I know there's a petition, uh, out there for Jill Biden to restore it. Uh, but the only items that Google comes up with are criticism of what she, uh, you know, what Melania did to it. Uh, You know, when it comes to Melania, I just don't care, do you? Well, I want the Rose Garden back. No, I want that. I'm just referring to her. her, her Oh, as a a personality or human being, I could care less. You're absolutely right. She wore that, uh, after all of this stuff about uh, the migrant kids at the border, she wore that jacket that uh, painted on the back. Yeah. I don't really care, do you? So that's my take on her. We've got Charlie Pierce on for the whole show tonight on the Wall of Power Radio. A lot to get to. We're going to hear a little music and a few ads, and we'll be back with Mr. Pierce, my psychological morphine drip for all things. The old hometown looks the same. As I step down from the train And there to meet me is my mama and my papa And down the road I look And there runs Mary Hair of gold and lips like cherries It's good to touch the green, green grass of home Yes, they've all come to 
It's good to touch the green, green grass of home. The old house is still standing, though the paint is cracked and dry. And there's the old oak tree that I used to play on. Welcome to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. We are excited to have another episode of Checkpoint Charlie with the great Charlie Pearson from his home out in Massachusetts. Charlie, at the end of the first set, we were talking a little Washington, D.C. I want to ask you, when I was out there, oh, God, I played the Million Mom March in 1999. I had a pleasure of a friend taking me to the Monocle. The little oh, water. yeah. The, uh, that's uh, down Capitol Hill. Yes. Uh, yeah, have... that's, a, that's, a, uh, you know, that's a standard. Oh, my God. You've got, I, the night I was there, Henry Hyde was there. We were, there was a long line for the ladies' room, so Kay Bailey Hutchinson, senator from Texas, asked me nicely if she could cut in front if I'd hold the door while she used the men's room, which, of course, I did. I oh, talked... you're such a gentleman. I talked to the bartender who looked like Robert E. Lee, a uh, very soft-spoken man. And I, I have to admit, Charlie, I stole a martini shaker from there. Just you stole a martini shaker, excellent. I paid my taxes. I I thought it was there doomed. You go. Right away. There uh, you go. Plus, you're you know you're keeping our you're keeping our lawmakers from getting too drunk. <laughs> you're now, not enabling. Out, you're not enabling congressional alcoholism. I'm very proud of you. Now, what was, the other uh, place you have to go if you get out there again, <laughs> excuse me, and this is down by the White House end of Pennsylvania Avenue, is a place called the Tune In. It's called the what in? The, the Tune In, T-U-N-E, In. Okay, okay it's, a, it's a hokey name, but it has a lot of things going for it. Number one, it's got Leinenkugel Glogger on tap. Oh, God bless him. And which doesn't happen on the East Coast at all. Right. Uh, like we've had this conversation before. We can get any kind of line and kugel out here except the lager. Uh, in fact, I had a, a summer shandy the other night at my local. Anyway, okay. uh, it's also like it's a it's a it's a like White House staffer hangout. Yeah. So you can run into interesting people there. Third, and this is my favorite thing, supposedly Jimmy Breslin wrote most of his Watergate book, How the Good Guys Finally Won, in a back booth there. Wow. That's the legend, anyway. And Breslin's Watergate book is one of the best ones. It was the one where he embedded himself in Tip O'Neill's office for for the entire summer of 1974. Did you ever have a chance to hang out with Jimmy Breslin? No, he's the one I missed. I hung out. I hung out with P. Hamill a lot, and mm-hmm. I used to hang out when his brother Dennis was writing a column for the Herald, and we worked together. I used to hang out with Dennis all the time, uh, and I hung out with Pete when I was in you know every every few times I was in New York. But Breslin, I was never in the same room with, as far as I know, which is too uh, bad yeah. because I have a lot of friends. Who I'm mean, Kevin Cullen, uh, the columnist at the Globe, is one of my best friends. Uh, was a very, very good friend of Breslin's, as was Bella English, who is another colleague from the Globe. But no, I, one of the great regrets is I never met the guy. Now, what about uh, the uh, journalist that was on Trump? From the very beginning, from the Village Voice, Wayne Barrett. Well, I, I met Wayne Barrett a couple times, yeah, uh, at uh, various, uh, you know, Democratic conventions and stuff. Alex Coburn introduced us. But, you know, Wayne was so, uh, you know, so locked into New York City politics that, you know, I ne- we never had any, any, any common interest because I, you know, I mean, Wayne was, you know, that was what Wayne's great genius was to get down to the nuts and bolts of this one city, which is how he, you know, got on the, you know, I think he was actually, I think he was on the Fred Trump train before he was on the Donald Trump train. When Fred was, when Fred was like doing racial discrimination and stuff in his apartment buildings. I think I'm not sure, but I think that's where Wayne first got his hooks into the family. And 
I wouldn't doubt if uh, if you haven't heard about the speaking of other people that were on a Fred Trump, the song that uh, Woody Guthrie wrote about his landlord, Fred Trump. I, I somebody sent that to me. Yeah. Uh, somebody emailed. It wasn't you, but somebody else emailed that to me during the camp during the 2020 campaign. I think when they were when they when the uh, Guthrie's were living out on Coney Island. That makes sense. Yeah. Coney, Island, Coney Island's Brooklyn, right? Yeah. So that yeah. was like, you know, that would have been early 50s. Uh, Arlo was just a young lad. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, Nora was born in 1950. But, yeah. Uh, boy, in fact, as long as we're talking Woody Guthrie, there is a fabulous book. Uh, it's a large book. Uh, it's uh, Woody Guthrie. It's paintings, drawing, music, and letters uh, written oh. by... His daughter, Nora, and Robert Santelli, uh, who's uh, been at the Rock Roll Hall of Fame and the uh, Grammy Museum. It's phenomenal. I, re- I, You know, right now it's in stores till I move to my new house, but I read a little bit every night. And that guy was, I mean, the stuff he's talking about in 1945, it could have, he could have been talking about things that we read about in the newspaper yesterday. Yeah, it was, it, it, that's funny. Because I was, I've been reading. Uh, it's on my bedside table now. Uh, uh, the uh, the political autobiography of Bob Lafollette. Okay. He wrote a, a kind of memoir. I don't know if it sold any copies, but again, it's all issues we're still dealing with. The money, power, and politics. The the money, power, and the media. Uh, and you know, it, 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 it's astonishing. How we all, we, 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 we learn, you know, we learn what the problems are and then we forget that they were ever problems. Yeah. You know? we, 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 we go through massive, you know, national traumas over, uh, workplace, uh, workplace accidents and, you know, the looting of the treasury by various, you know, masters of the universe and the financial system. We go through these every forty, every thirty or forty years, and then we look at them, and then we don't solve anything. Right? Yeah, it it, it blows your mind and makes you frustrated. Let's get back to a little bit uh, on the January sixth hearings. What else has really uh, stuck out to you, Charlie? And some of the characters. I, I was reading you the other day. I think it was on Twitter, and you talked about. Uh, there was a guy you wouldn't mind having a beer with. Oh, that's that Hirschman guy. Okay. He remind he reminds me of every mob lawyer I've ever talked to. Huh. Sounds like them, you know, has this complete, you know, bone deep cynicism about what he'll do for a buck. Uh but has a very good sense of what's too far. Mm-hmm. And he walked. He walked into that the crazy meeting on December eighteenth, two thousand twenty-one, and apparently almost punched out Michael Flynn. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I thought, you know, I thought, you know, I, I probably don't agree with him on anything, but I thought he'd be a good guy to have a beer with. Yeah. Well, I have, very, I have a very good. I won't mention his name, but I have a very good friend who was the lawyer for a bunch of. You know, good family men, as we say, yeah. who were framed by the FBI so they could keep Whitey Bulger's role as, of an informant secret. Yeah, right. So Whitey, Whitey had, had had done the murders, but they framed these these outfit guys uh, and they sent him to jail. And my friend, the lawyer, spent, you know, 25 years trying to get him out and in the process of doing so, helped expose the corrupt deal between Whitey Bulger and the the Boston field office of the FBI. But I love talking to the guy. And yeah. I, 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 I like him. I think better than I'd like the Hirschman guy. But he called, you know, Trump behaving like a mob family before anybody else I know did. Mm-hmm. Now, what, uh, now let's talk Steve Bannon for a little bit here. He's a little bit under the gun again. Well, he's going to trial Monday. Yeah. He's got no... He's got he's got no apparent defense for the charges, right. so you know. Is, I mean, is he got he's offering? I mean, allegedly he's offering to sing, but 
you know, I wouldn't trust that as far as I could throw it. And I certainly wouldn't put them on a, on a public hearing. Mm-hmm. If I'm taking a deposition from Steve Bannon, I'm doing it in a bomb-proof shelter under the Capitol <laughs> with a video camera. Yeah, the guy's got. Uh... And then I'm leaving him. I'm leaving him in the shelter for, for for two days until we play the testimony live. You know, I was reading something the other day about uh, the Grateful Dead and how they're. Uh, how much money they made after Garcia died. And one of the first guys to bid on all of the recorded archives and everything else that the Grateful Dead owned was Steve Bannon. I'm glad well, that that's didn't kind, happen. Well, that's kind of disillusioning. <laughs> <laughs> well, they ended up with Rhino Records. So, I mean, God bless them. Uh, there was a lot, is, lot that of who, is that who's handling, like, Bob Weir's band and stuff? Um, I don't know who's handling Bob's. And although I saw where a couple of years ago Don was on, on bass, and Don, who's a you know, great producer, great bass player, I had a chance, uh, I know Bob's wife, and uh, she's a Minnesota gal, so I was able to get back and talk to Don, and you know, Don's played with Dylan and produced the Rolling Stones, and, and uh, God knows who else, and uh, he told me, he goes, this is the fav- my favorite gig I ever had playing bass behind Bob Weir. And uh, they all walk out in uh, barefoot and uh, culottes, <laughs> and, uh, and it's it's like 1969 has never gone away. And I say, <laughs> and I say, bless them for that. Uh, but anyway, so it's fine for talking music. What uh, what are you listening to? Sounds like we should, sounds like we sounds like we should we we should queue up a little U.S. blues for our next bumper music. Let's write that down, Brett. You <laughs> I love being program director. <laughs> Red and white, right? You got it. We'll get it lined up. We there you it. go. Is Brett jumping in? Yeah, and that was Brett Johnson, our intrepid producer, uh, who helps make uh, Checkpoint Charlie and Paul Metz's Wall of Power Radio Hour happen. Speaking of music, Charlie, what do you listen to in the summer of 2022? Uh, I've actually, it's very funny. Uh, I've been listening to, you know, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm not listening to anything current at all, although I, you know, I, I probably should, but I haven't been. Uh, I've been listening to this, uh, I got I to find the name of that. I can't remember the name of the band. Oh, yeah. I've been listening to this band called Home Free. Do you know about them? No. I'm writing it down. They, do, they do old, old, old songs. Uh, and, uh, they have, I mean, they, they do a, a medley of sea shanties hmm. and I've been listening to that. Plus they, they cover a lot of stuff. They covered, uh, they cover like ring of fire, ring of fire and, and they do it all with, with acoustic old school instruments. And so I found them on, uh, did I find them on Twitter? No, I, I, I found them on Google cause I was Googling, I Googled sea shanties cause I was watching, uh, I was watching Moby Dick on hmm. uh, the old the Gregory Peck Moby Dick, and they have that wonderful scene at the beginning when the Pequod quits the sea and they sing all the old sea shanties. What was the name of the guy who made the sea shanty records back in the 60s whose record collection Dylan looted in New York? It was Paul somebody. Paul Clayton. Pardon? Paul Clayton. That's him. He, yep. I've got his album up. Too. I've got his album up now, too. Uh, he did a whole out. Al- he did a whole album of, uh, of sea shanties. Oh so yeah! So I've been listening. I've been listening to like freaky music recently. Clayton's really, really good. You know, living in Duluth here, Charlie. There's a uh, beautiful old refurbished 1940s movie theater called the West Theater, and uh, there's two shows there that I saw, and then a show at the old North Shore Theater with the 1915. Uh, Art Deco Theater in downtown Duluth that they refurbished to the tune of $35 million. So the first uh, last summer in about the first eight weeks I was here, I saw Leo Kotke at the North Shore, Yorma Kaukinen solo at the West Theater, and two weeks later a show you would have loved, the David Bromberg Quintet. Oh man, you you saw like like acoustic guitar heaven. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And those guys are all like my main guys. You know, mm-hmm. and the Oh, Cocky's from Minnesota, isn't he? Leo is, and Richie um, grew up in Oklahoma, but ended up 
in Minnesota and uh, really kind of came of age uh, on the West Bank music scene. He was a little after Dinky Town, um, but yeah, he was uh, he still lives in uh, in Minnesota and uh, a great uh, we'll tell a great little Leo Kotke story here. I don't think we're talking on the school. But uh, Leo's been one of my main guys. I saw him in concert in 72 when I was 16. I said, that's what I'm going to do for a living. Uh, and I want to play that theater where I saw it at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, which I ended up playing eight times. And I followed Leo, and I bumped into him at guitar stores and cigar shops and, and uh, uh, record stores around town. And uh, a guy for one of the music magazines about 25 years ago went to... Uh, interview Leo at his home outside of Minneapolis and Leo had all these weird and crazy guitars around and uh, a lot of them junkers uh, unplayable and the guy goes at the inter- end of the interview said Leo you've got all these beautiful Taylor and Martin guitars what's up with all these other guitars in this room he goes well I learned my lesson and the guy goes what's that he goes never go to the guitar store high <laughs> <laughs> we got Charlie Pierce on the wall. I, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I try to keep that rule for record stores and bookstores, too. <laughs> We've got Charlie Pierce on for one more segment on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We're going to hear a little bit of Grateful Dead. back to the third set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Matza. We hope everybody out there is enjoying summertime. We've got the great Charlie Pierce on. We call these segments Checkpoint Charlie. And now we're going to just kind of go for it. Charlie, what else has been on your mind uh, as you sit around and enjoy uh, a line and Kugel summer shanty, which for me is a little too fruity, but 
That's just yeah. That, that, you see, that's what, that's what I love about the what I love about their their, their simple lager is that it, it it tastes better than any lager I ever had. But yeah. they won't sell it. I mean, it's you know that's why I love the tune in. You can get it by the pitcher. I remember uh, when I first moved to Minneapolis in '78. There was a lot of things going on at the uh, uh, 400 bar on the corner of Cedar and Riverside, which they called the Biomagnetic Center of the Universe, and a lot of uh, uh, all kinds of cool bands played there. And Robert Criscow, uh, the esteemed dean of American rock criticism, so self-described, came into town and had uh, linings for the first time and ended up, when he got back to New York, had them send him a case. That was his uh, his beer of choice for the summer of 78. Lining well, I'm glad, I mean, Chris, I've always, I've always admired Criscow's taste, and now yeah. I admire it even more. Uh, no, I had it first at a, uh, I went to a student journalism conference in La Crosse when I was in college. And I had it there. Uh, and that was a student journalism conference where I got in an argument, a public argument with Britt, Her- with Britt Hume. <laughs> I was like 19. I was like 19 and even more full of myself than I am now. And <laughs> we, we got in a wrangle about, I can't even remember what, but. I thought he was being snotty, and he thought I was being an upstart. So it was it was a that that was a good, it was a good conference. Let's put it that way. But then I went back to Milwaukee, and I scoured. They weren't even selling it all over Wisconsin at that, that point. But I found one place about a half a block from my apartment in Milwaukee, uh, where they they sold they sold beer by the six pack out from behind the bar, and they carried it. So yeah. that got me through my, my uh, junior and senior years. Well, you've, uh, I'm, I'm sure, obviously, had had a can or two of Point beer. Point was Point was still make. Yeah, I mean, when I started it in, in college, which in at Marquette, which was 1971, there were, you know, five or six what we call today microbrews, but five to six breweries, you know, in Wisconsin making their own product. Point was good. Yeah. Uh, we had, you know, Schlitz, Miller, Paps, and Blatt in Milwaukee were all owned by their original owners. Right. You know, you know and so they were they were making all their own products. Lining, you know, Lining was, as far as I know, just making the lager. Uh, uh, Point was, you know, Point was another one. Uh, Pams and ca- occasionally filtered over the border. And let's not forget the great song... I'm forgetting the artist. What made Milwaukee famous? Made, made a loser out of me. That's right. Let's Jerry let, Lee that. Lewis and Jerry Lee Lewis, and then Rod Stewart did a great cover of it. Oh, really? Yeah, he used it. He didn't put it on an album. He used it as a B-side to one of his singles. Uh, maybe after his third album, he I can't remember what signal what single it was. It might have been "You Wear It Well," but it's the it's the flip side. Uh, when records have flip sides, and it, he does a great job with it. And in fact, have Brett look it up. You can you can play us out with it. But Jerry Lee Lewis is the first person I ever heard sing it. Yeah. Hey, have you seen the Elvis movie? No, I, I'm I'm a little afraid to. Yeah. First of, all, first of all, because Baz Luhrmann is freaking insane. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I don't like his stuff very much. And second of all, I don't want to see a bad Elvis movie. You know, I think about, I think about, I saw an interview with Will Smith before he started doing the Ali movie for, 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 uh, Michael Mann. Yeah. And somebody asked him, you know, he, he was, you know, getting into incredible shape to play Ali, especially Ali as a young man. Yeah. And they asked him how hard he was working. Uh, and he told him, and then they said, why? And he says, if you're an actor, you don't want to be the guy who screws up the Ali movie. No doubt. You know, you, and you don't want to be the guy who screws up the Elvis movie. Yeah, and uh, it was, you know, I was I was really conflicted. I had to see it. Uh, I saw in 1964, I think, it, I think it was called It Happened at the World's Fair, starring Elvis Presley, and I believe Ann-Margaret. I was in third grade. I took uh, Christine Friedlieb on a date. Uh, her Dr. Friedlieb and his wife drove us to the movie theater. I put on a new gold sweatshirt. I took 
50 cents because it was a quarter apiece, another 50 cents for... To, uh, you were high roll or even then? I knew how to treat a, a lady. And uh, <laughs> so I said... As, as, so, uh, you know, as I, uh, yeah, Cornelius' yeah, brothers and sister Rose said, you got to treat her like a lady. <laughs> so I, uh, I see, you know, so I see, I'd heard Elvis, they were playing Elvis on the radio, Love Devil in Disguise when I was in second grade, and here you go, this really handsome guy, plays guitar, drives great cars, has all the beautiful women, and wins all the fights, and I said to myself at eight or nine years old, that's what I want to do for a living. It didn't, which I did, it didn't quite turn out like Elvis, but it I get to talk to people like Charlie Pierce on my radio show. Well, no, you got you know you got to get up on stage and, and play the guitar and sing. I mean that's you know yeah. that's that closer to being Elvis than a lot of people do. Well, no, it's been a good life. I enjoy it, and I'm still doing it. I'm uh, closing on my house in two days, and then going to play a a um, gig celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Reader, the Duluth Reader. You would enjoy the newspaper a lot. Uh, uh, is that is that a is that a branch of the Chicago Reader? No, it's it's a guy named Bob Boone that runs it, and uh, it's uh, very well you know ad supported. Uh, I think he puts out about fifteen thousand copies a week. And what I love, you'd love the logo, Charlie Pierce. It says uh, the best newspaper money can't buy. Well, no, I mean you're not. As, as, whoops, there we go. Uh, as you know, uh, I'm uh, I'm a child of the alternative press. Yeah. I spent the first five years of my career. In fact, I'm wearing my Boston Phoenix uh, softball shirt even as we speak. God bless you. Uh, you know, and I spent five years there, and they were the best five years of my career. Yeah. I learned all, I learned so freaking much about myself, about the world, about about being a reporter, uh, about being a writer in public. Uh, I'll never forget it, and so. You know, it, it, it breaks my heart. The Phoenix is, of course, defunct now. The voice is gone. I mean, so any of the ones that are still around, I mean, if the loose reader is still around, God bless it. Let me know if there's a fundraiser. Yeah, I will. In fact, uh, I'll send you a couple of hard copies because you've got to get a, a feel for the paper. You know, I read a lot of stuff online, but I still like holding the paper and having that paper to the touch. I get a link on my hands. I don't care. And that's funny. I went out I was I went out this morning to get uh, to get breakfast and I, I picked up a I picked up a globe just because I wanted to read the newspaper again. Yeah. Oh I love it. And uh, how many papers how many papers were in Duluth when you were growing up? When I was growing up there was the Duluth News Tribune. I think there was I can't remember if it was the Duluth Star, but there was two newspapers. We had a, a daily in Virginia, Minnesota, called the Masaba Daily News, which is now just called the Masaba News because they put it. Uh, the Duluth News Tribune is only uh, delivering three times a week. I have I get the ah. copies and the digital copy. The Virginia newspaper has combined with the Virginia or uh, with the Hemming paper, and they only do three days a week. There is a good weekly up there called the Hometown Focus that I write for every now and then. But uh, the Duluth Reader, which we're celebrating at Bayfront Park, which is right on Lake Superior. I'm playing at 7 with my buddy Sonny Earl uh, this Friday night, which will be the night before or the night after this uh, show airs. Um, it's a really good newspaper. And they've got sports, food, environment, cars, uh, entertainment. It's just... And a lot of citizen journalists. Well, I'm I'm just I'm just glad it's still alive. Uh, you know, as I said, any uh, any alternative any alternative newspaper that's still around, God bless it, long may it wave, because it was a very important. You know, the alternative media was a very important development in, you know, American journalism. Absolutely, and I, I was I I will always be proud that I was part of it. Charlie Pierce, it's, it's so great to talk to you. Um, speaking of uh, things that uh, things that are getting too old, Joe Biden, twenty twenty four. Not my first pick. I, 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 it's funny because I've been trying to put together uh, a post for the blog about this, 
I I am now of the opinion that he's done a great job and he shouldn't run in 2024. I don't want a president who's 85 years old. Yeah. I mean, my God, are we crazy? You can't even be Pope over you. You can't even be a cardinal in the Catholic Church if you're over 80 now. <laughs> no, I totally you agree. Can't vote, you can't you can't vote for Pope if you're over 80 years old. Yeah. What uh, I just I mean, as much as I I like the guy and I think he's being unfairly criticized for you know practically everything. Uh, I just can't. Uh, and I can't go with it. I can't. I can't go with another term. No, I can't either. What? Uh, who's on the bench? Well, that's another problem. Uh, I mean, I'm cer- I'm certain Harris would be. You know, if if something were to go terribly wrong, I'm sure that Harris would be the. Uh, you know, the obvious choice for. Uh, you know, to, as the heir apparent, but. You know, I I I mean, I don't know how much strength she has in the party either. Uh, she got rolled pretty badly by Biden in the primaries in 2020. Uh, I don't know. I think. I mean, I think that you know, if you look at the Democratic establishment in Washington, it's old folks. I mean, it's it's yeah. Biden and Pelosi and Hoyer and, and and Pat Leahy, who's almost 90. I mean, I don't know how the hell they managed to do this. How would uh, at what a time think? when we need? You know, as young and vigorous an opposition party as we can get, the party in Washington is run by, you know, as my son sent me an email last night because he looked it up. The, the Democratic leadership in the House of Representatives, except for Hakeem Jeffries, they're all older than the chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> the chocolate chip cookie was invented during their lifetime. You know what? There's no better way to end this episode. <laughs> Checkpoint Charlie on the Wall of Power Radio with that uh, tasty tidbit from the great Charles Spears. Charlie, we got to uh, got to come to Minnesota. We got to hang out. I gotta go. I, I, I gotta go see my big lakes again. It's been too long. Please do, and uh, get a hold of your buddy Jimmy Moore down there in Texas. Have him drive his bike up. I'll get and, Moore, and, and and I'll get Popovich. That would be a that would be a force. Although he's in, although he's in Denver now, yeah, he could that sets a twelve hour drive. Okay, well that's fine. It's a straight shot too, you know. Yeah. Right well, at ninety. You uh, you uh, keep, keep us posted there on your blog on Twitter, Charlie, Hello. and uh, keep uh, keep us honest. And uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my brother. No problem, Paul. Thanks so much. Have, have fun. Have a good weekend. Have a good show. Down, okay. at, uh, down, down for the newspaper. Thank you so much, my friend. Have a great week. You bet. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brett Johnson. We'd like to thank our guest, Checkpoint Charlie Pierce. We hope everybody's enjoying the summertime out there. My book, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs, should be out by September of this year. Follow me at paulmetza.com for more info on that and where I am playing. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. No power brokers, the wall of power will fall. We're out. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz. We just heard a song called The Real You by my guest, Brian Barr. Tell us a little bit about uh, who was that crazy saxophone player on there. 
Jason Peterson of the famous Peterson family as a, as a friend of mine, and uh, he played on three songs on the album, and that also... He's on the road with Michael Bolton now, like yeah, all the time. Yeah, he's been traveling all over the world. I've seen footage of him at the pyramids, and <laughs> you know he's just down in South America. Uh, so the Petersons are really the first family in Minnesota music. Oh yeah, all those guys you are great. Well, Ricky's out on the road right now, and uh, yeah, he's with Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac. Mac, and and the cool thing about Jason is he's an unbelievable singer and keyboard player. He's a so great he's a singer, side guy for someone like Michael Bolton because when he's not playing sax, he's playing keyboards. Well, it runs in the family because I got to know Gene Peterson, the matriarch, about thirty years ago at the Minnesota Music Awards, and she's a phenomenal uh, piano player and singer, and just a, just the queen and a doll. And uh, she passed several years ago. But I had a call. Somebody needed a piano player for kind of a she-she post-wedding party downtown at the Ivy Hotel. So I called Jeannie. She was 85 years old at the time. And I said, Jeannie, there's a, I got a, you know, an hour, really nice paying gig for you right downtown, middle of the afternoon. She looks at her calendar. She goes, I'd love to, Paul, but I've got three gigs that day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it runs in the family. I love all those people. I feel like a yeah. Peterson myself sometimes. Well, that that last song kind of showed a little diversity on the album. I've got some heavier tunes, but I also have a bunch of mellow tunes. And I have some of the Donnie and Jesse are on a couple songs, and, and some of the Dare Force guys are on a few tunes. And But that song actually has... Uh, Victoria Vang singing, so I have a couple other guest singers on there, too. Now, who's Victoria Vang? Well, she's a local artist who uh, I worked with in the studio, and she just had a great voice. And, and like I said, I didn't you know, uh, want to be singing every single song, so I have like Dave Rees from Accept on a couple songs, and, and uh, uh, Victoria, um, who actually went as Tori Envy, was her stage name for a while, but I... I I credited her as a real name and uh, excellent singer, and and that particular song was uh, great for her voice. And did you get Joey Mullen to sit in on any of these? You know, tracks? I should have. I could have. I should manage you, Bart. We could <laughs> well, put your career in order here. I did an old Johnny Winter song called "Still Alive and Well." Okay. And I used Joey's Les Paul on it. That's my Joey Mullen connection to this album. <laughs> Would you consider? Going out and, and doing a set somewhere live, like a CD release party? Well, like I said, I was hesitant to even talk about the MS situation, but I can't play anymore. So okay. um, I had to use a bit of studio trickery to pull off some of this album, like playing with one hand. I would. Wow. I have a foot pedal, punch-in pedal, and I would play, and I would do a lot of tuning, alternate tuning of the guitar. So that last previous song, you know, I had tuned and... Uh, I would stop and I would retune and put on a capo or whatever, wow. punch in the next part. And I was actually, I had a record deal with Bobby Z doing tribute albums. Okay. I did 40 of them. And, wow. Uh, I was importing in. No wonder you can afford to travel around the world. <laughs> well, that was actually financed by Tom Petters before he okay. was indicted oh. and went to prison. Crazy. Uh, kind of an interesting story, but... Uh, Total Minnesota story in, there. In, in, in other words, that whole song was played with one hand, except for I was importing in guitar solos. Okay. And uh, time-stretching them and pitch-shifting them to fit. So I can still have solos, even though I can't play them. So, to answer your question, I couldn't really go out and gig, but uh, I am trying to promote it a little bit and, you know, posting songs on Facebook well, or whatever. Well, I always like to send people down to the greatest record store in America, the Electric Fetus, which in Ju on June 10th celebrated their 50th anniversary. I go there almost weekly. Sometimes I just go there to hang out because it's such a great vibe. And, you know, look through the records and uh, read the magazines. And But I was just to get my, you know, have to get my monthly Mojo magazine. Well, uh, there in Hi-Fi downtown is... Yeah, all oh, Hi-Fi Records is great. And then you get to bump in new Terry Katzman, who used to work with Husker Du for McClellan. years. Steve McClellan. Maybe one of the most important men in Minneapolis and Minnesota music is Steve McClellan. He works there on the weekends because I go downtown. I work out at the YWCA. What work out? I t 
10 cannonballs in a sauna is my workout. Uh, then, then I follow with a martini. But anyway. Um, well, I had to go to down in the valley because growing yeah. up, before I moved to California in the old Bob Dylan's brother days, we, we used to go to down in the oh, valley yeah. when we were kids. Right. Um, so I've Kind of a record store slash head shop. And, of course, the, the place in Hopkins that's eluding me right now. Uh, oh, well, it's right down from... Uh, <laughs> well, it's Bongo Johnny's. Yeah, I was just there. runs the place. Yeah, yeah, it's two doors down from, uh, what is it? Is it Bud and Johnny's Music Store? Right, yeah. Let's give them a shout. I was just there yeah. last week. They have a great, great record store, downtown Hopkins. Yeah, so uh, go check it that's out. That's been one of my favorite things in town as I've... Having done 400 albums, I've worked with so many of the the local artists around town. And, like, we worked together 30 years ago, and all of a sudden we're back in again recently with uh, Dixie. So it's kind of fun being connected to everyone. Well, don't you think, and we've got about a, a minute left here, Brian Bart, that uh, Minneapolis, and Minneapolis-St. Paul, but more Minneapolis, is one of the greatest music towns in America. Definitely uh, per capita, so... Uh, and the, the thing I also like is the diversity. I mean, I one thing I've always prided myself in is I used to get into MIDI before it was even invented using computerized music. So I like to work one day doing hip-hop, the next day metal, and the next day some folk artists. And I also do graphics and video editing and multimedia and things like that. So it's all about the, the diversity of different artists. And uh, I've worked with so many of the local people in town it's been a pleasure so brian bart it was a pleasure working with you a couple of months ago on anchor to wilson dixie more pleasure having you on my show you're a real inspiration to a lot of people and you're one of the best musicians i've met since i moved here in 1970 oh, thank you for that compliment i appreciate it and good luck with your new record av my friend brian bart and have a great christmas Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Sam Turnberg in the basement of the AM950 studios in Eden Prairie, which is neither Eden nor Prairie. Find out my upcoming gigs at paulmetza.com. Every Thursday night at Shaw's, 16th and University, 5 to 7.30, with Willie Walker, Sunny Earl in Northeast, Wednesday nights at the Green Lantern in St. Paul, 9 to 11.30. And like my dad used to say, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Oh, 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 oh.